Hey, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a fan of Artifact. And if you're not familiar, Artifact sets you up with one of the professional interviewers to capture stories about the important things in your life. Think of it like your favorite podcast, but it's about whatever you want. You could have them interview parents about what their lives were like before you were born or as a birthday gift for your significant other. Uh, You can have them interview close friends about her and the importance of the relationships. There's a ton of ways to use Artifact. Uh, I did my own Artifact episode, and we talked about my decision to leave ESPN and to go to The Athletic and all the behind-the-scenes stories about putting my book together behind the bench, and it was such a cool process. Uh, You can listen to a snippet here, or I would suggest you go listen to the whole episode. If you go to heyartifact.com slash full60, you will be able to listen to that whole conversation. It was such a fun thing to do. Um, Basically, you just go to heyartifact.com, and I told them a a few basic things about how I wanted the conversation to go and and the topics we wanted to cover. Then we did a few pre-interview questions, scheduled my interview, Uh, That just took a couple minutes and then sat down with an interviewer for about a 45 minute conversation about basically about my life. And it was it was a lot of fun for me to do. Probably is usually only a half hour, but I talk too long as I tend to do. But it was it was cool. And the finished product, if you go to heyartifact.com slash full 60, you can listen to the whole thing. And you can also go to heyartifact.com to see other great examples of how people are using Artifact. Save $40 by using code FULL60. It's really just about the most unique gift you could give to somebody. I would definitely encourage you to check it out. HeyArtifact.com slash FULL60. Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey, while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to this week's episode of The Full 60. I am so excited to have this week's guest on the line right now as we speak, Tony Granado, who news emerged that he will be inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Well-deserved honor for uh, Great American. There's no other way to put it. Tony, congratulations on that. First of all, let's start right there. That's yeah, I awesome. appreciate I appreciate that, Craig. Thank, thank you so much. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously when you get a phone call like that, it, it's exciting. It brings back lots of memories, um, mostly those of, of the teammates and coaches and family members that you've been able to kind of go along the journey with. Uh, so that that's what that day was. When you get a call like that, it, it's not about, okay, and you celebrate. It's about going back and, and really looking at um, you know, all of the teams and coaches, like I said, and people that have, have been uh, a big part of your life for, for uh, you know, so many years. And, and it, it all revolves around the game of hockey. That's the cool part right. about it is, is um, you know, when your family and friends and, and uh, um, all the people that are important to you in your life have a, a passion and love for the game of hockey like you do, uh, it, makes, uh, it makes it pretty special. So I, I know how, I, how the – the hockey hall does it. How did how did they how did they inform you? Like, were you do you get a phone conference call or what was it, what was the kind of the news? How was the news broken to you? Yeah, I got a call from Pat Kelleher, president of USA Hockey and and director of USA Hockey, and, and it was just a pretty simple one. It was early in the morning. I was actually in the weight room visiting with some of our players that were working out, and I saw the call come in. I stepped outside the weight room and and. Uh, he let me know. So it was, uh, you know, a complete surprise. You know, Pat's a, a I worked with Pat uh, uh, during the Olympics, uh, the last mm-hmm. Olympics, uh, especially. 
And, uh, you know, when I thought he was just calling to check in, but uh, he gave me some news that kind of kind of brought some emotions to, to the call, which was, uh, uh, again, uh, a nice surprise to get. Now, how are they doing the ceremony this year? I, I know everything's the, kind of in flux. Yeah, they're going to postpone it and do two classes uh, together next year. Uh, I think that's the smart play of just making sure that, uh, that there can be a, a – a gathering and and uh, so so the 2020 and 2021 uh, class will be uh, will will go in together. So that'll be okay. kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. No. Those and those are uh, you know I'm sure you've you've been a part of those, that's such a cool evening, right? Like the you know just to sit and listen to the stories and oh, it's, it's yeah. such a cool like the whole you know the hockey world is in one place. It's it's such a great event. It, it is. Um, you know, my sister got in. I don't even know. I guess 15 years ago and yeah. And I think she went in with Chelios and maybe a suitor and maybe it was Mike Richter. I don't know. I've been at a, a lot of them. Yeah, know, yeah. My buddies have gone in. And it just it gives you the, the, the opportunity to do what I did when I got the call and look back and reflect and go, wow, you know, I was able to play with that guy. And wow, mm-hmm. holy cow, I went over to, you know, Russia as a 17-year-old to play in a world junior tournament, things like, like that. Like <laughs> right, the, the things right. you look back and go, wow, I did all of that because of this crazy game of hockey. And, and those are the fun times when you can sit down with former teammates and guys that, even though you never played with them, feel like they were your teammates because you've shared the stories and seen them and, and then kind of seen their journey. Uh, uh, that's really cool. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to, to a, a night like that. And it probably won't be for quite some time, but I'm sure it'll be special. All right. So there's a couple of stories I want to hit on in, ter- in terms of kind of reliving some of that. But I do like to start these out just kind of in the moment a little bit, because especially for you, coach at Wisconsin, there's everything is so in flux right now. And and I'm just curious if, if there's any update you can provide in terms of where things stand on the college hockey scene and, and sure. you know, in terms of sure. what your expectations are this season. Well, it's exciting. The last week or so has been really exciting for us. Uh, the, the football programs, uh, the Big Ten conference has, has uh, uh, made a date, a uh, return to play date of October 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we were waiting on that, knowing that football is, is our moneymaker. It's our big sports on all of our campuses. Uh, and it was important for them to get up and run, and they are. So basketball was right behind to pick their return to play date. And right now, as as Big Ten coaches and working with the commissioner and, and our ADs, we're trying to solidify a schedule to to announce hopefully in the next you know seven to ten days. Uh, and it would put us uh, in a position where we're going to play a full Big Ten schedule and maybe play some scattered um, non-conference games. Uh, but it's important for our players. You know, our players are here for development. They're here to, to, you know, have an opportunity when they do leave uh, our programs to, to play professionally. And we want to make sure we supply a, a, a good enough season for them to, to not lose anything in the development side of things. Uh, so, so we're on the ice now. We've been on the ice since July 6th. Our, our campus brought our players back here. Our university, our athletic department found the funding to, to bring our guys back here to begin training, to work out with our strength and conditioning coach, to, to have the ice available to them every single day. So they're not they're in a pretty good spot of, of being able to to take advantage of the facilities and the opportunity that we've given them. And, and you know, obviously the, the, we need to drop a puck and have another team on the ice here soon because right. <laughs> it gets it's a little bit They've got to be going more. crazy. Yeah, but but it's it's close. I, I do think yeah. we'll play, you know, there's a small chance we play the last weekend of October and early November, but I think it's more realistic to play the first or second week in November. And, and uh, like I said, get a full season in. 
And I realized, so this, we'll drop this on Thursday. So, like, so some of this stuff may change even in the next day or two. But how does it work for players? You know, there's been speculation about guys like Cole or Alex play, sure. playing overseas. Like, how does that work if they decide to go? Or, or you know, where does that yeah. stand? Well, I, I think we understand it, too, from the standpoint, you know, these are guys that, that are close to being in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. They can't afford to not play hockey this year and let other players play because you don't want to, you know, lose your, you know, lose where you're at. You want to, you want to continue to get better and gain and, and, and become better than the other players that are in your group. So you can have, you know, uh, the, the career that you potentially have. So, so I think that, that, you know, knowing that other teams are, are searching for players and trying to get a hold of, you know, players it is a compliment one to our program. It's a compliment to the players that we have to, to you know, to be wanted. Uh, but I also think, uh, you know, in, in Turk's situation, Alex already signed with L.A., so his signing is, is you know, the best thing for his development. Cole's situation, um, you know, if we didn't have a season and we weren't going to play, he should be playing right now. He should be going overseas to find a find a home, but with with the news this week uh, of of football starting and with the confidence that we have of us, you know, getting up and running at some point in, in early November, um, I think this is the the right place for him. Um, you know, he still has to 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 sort through things and make sure he feels that same way. I think he does. Um, he's here for a reason. His brother's here. Um, last year's step on what he did in college hockey, leading the Big Ten and scoring as a freshman, you know, Pretty sets amazing. himself up for yeah. a really, you know, outstanding year. He's got players with Bice and Holloway and Weisbach and and Ashan and Donovan and some freshmen we get coming in and Baker and some other players that that you know, will give him a chance to even, you know, make another uh, a leap in his development from what he did last year. Um, all right, let's stay on that topic for a, a second because I know Montreal fans would love to know wh- where you saw the growth in Cole's game because, I mean, just a, as pure a goal scorer as I've seen in, in this short time, I spent some time with that group in, in, gosh, I think it was Sweden for the U18s, and, like, one of my favorite kids to be around, like, the, the permanent smile, like, a lot of energy. Like, where did you see his growth as a player? Yeah, yeah, Cole's one that, that – that he has so much confidence, but I think being able to do it at the college level as consistently he, he, as he did against bigger, stronger players and playing against, you know, 22, 23 year olds was, was certainly a big boost for him. But what he, he has is, is the ability to say, give me the puck. I'm going to shoot it in the net. And that's a confidence that only if Luke Robitaille, um, you know, mm-hmm. Mike Bossy, uh, Alex Ovechkin, Joe Sackick, uh, there's only, Brett Hull. There's only so many players, uh, you know, in a long period of time that have that confidence and that ability to say, I can get this done. Just, just find a way to get it to me and I'll I'll get us on the scoreboard. And, and to me, that's, that's his biggest strength. Um, There's some things being an undersized player that he's going to have to be ready for, you know, he's going to have to play against Chara and expect to play against a player like that in a playoff series where, where there's going to be a big guy leaning on him, you know, for, for seven straight games, how are you going to figure out how to beat him? How are you going to use your quickness and your smarts to nullify his, his size advantage? And, and I think that's the area, you know, that he will continue to learn to, but he's quick. He's hard to cover. He, he's one of those guys that shows up at the right time when the puck is, is available in the right spot. So he doesn't have to stand in front of the net and take a beating to get his goals. He can appear 
at the right time uh, and be extremely productive and extremely hard to defend. He drives defenders nuts because, you, you know, they think they know where he's at. Next thing you know, he's, you know, if it's on a stick, it's it's in the back of the net before they can react to it. So his his upside to be a, a premier goal scorer in the NHL, whether it's Debrinket, whether it's Arvidsson, I mean, you can pick some of these guys out that have a similar stature and you say, well, he can do that. Well, he can. And I think there's there's uh, opportunities for him to be even even better because I think he has that elusiveness, uh, which makes him even harder to defend than those guys. Um, how about Turcotte? What did you, what did you uh, what growth did you see? How how close is he? Great competitor, a great, yeah. great, great competitor. I mean, if there's a loose puck and there was something to fight over, uh, he would fight over it. In practice or, or you know warm ups, whatever. That was his mentality. Uh, so it's a strength of of him. Um, you know, I think as the year went along, he's really hard on himself. Uh, he, he gets frustrated, uh, by opponents that lean on him. And, and, uh, I think the, 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 the ability to be able to direct and channel energy in the right direction is, is still part of, of where, uh, he needs to continue to, to, to get better at, um, tremendous sees the ice tremendous as far as being able to, to recognize plays that are available to him. Um, but he's going to play hard. He's going to, he's, he's got to be a real exciting player. So lastly, K Andre Miller, I think Rangers fans would be mad if I didn't ask about him and, and I know they're excited about what he brings to the table. Uh, you know, he's, he's a guy you have, you've had for a couple of years there. Where, where have you seen his development? Yeah. I, well, offensively, you know, I think he popped his freshman year, uh, you know, uh, big upside offensively. So he kind of played behind him, but when he got here, uh, we gave him the green light to, to explore, uh, his offensive ability, uh, to mm-hmm. de- let it develop and grow. And he had, he had a tremendous freshman year last year. I'd say he had an okay year. I think is it was a little bit too easy for him the year before. Uh, I think last year was one of those years where he thought it was going to come even easier. Uh, and he had some struggles and, and, but I think that's part of growing as a player is being able to deal with those struggles. I think he did. I think he came out of it, uh, in a position where, uh, what he gained by going through an experience like he has the past two years through his world juniors experiences. Um, he's put himself in a really good position uh, to, to, you know, be an impact player in that organization. So I think his, his initial, you know, camp that he had prior to the, the team going into the bubble went really well. Uh, I think his summer and what he's done uh, training wise uh, is put him in a position that you know that he's ready you know i don't i don't know that he's going to play go right to the rangers and play you know an 80 game season uh, he might need some up and down time and might need a little bit of, of t- time in the minors but but he has uh, a lot of ability to to go in there and be an impactful player on that blue line it's just for you personally at, at wisconsin like i you know i know you've said in the past that's basically the only college hockey job you would have taken right like this is this is the the dream scenario for you and 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 you know this will be your fourth season how like I know every moment's not perfect like has it lived up to your mental expectations I know it's you know when you land that kind of dream job it can be hard to have you know live up to those expectations. well there's definitely been challenges Um, yeah the the one thing you come back here for and you know, I, I came back here and the program had won four games one year and eight games the next year. Right. Um, it was it was struggling. And, and you know, we needed to, to add some life to it. We needed to recruit the players like Turcotte, Caulfield, Miller, the guys you just, you know, mentioned. And then you throw Holloway in there and you throw Emerson in there. A lot, lots of high-end guys. And we did. We were able to get 
those those top end recruits. With that, you know, they leave early. They're not going to be here for four years. And Wyatt Kelnick was another one that just, you know, is I thought he was the best defenseman in college hockey last year. He signed with Chicago. Um, so there's some things that you have to, as as a coach and as a program, understand that you can recruit on your program in the win loss column. They might already be out the door. So so we've had to make some adjustments recruiting wise. Uh, but I think we're in a really good spot now. I think we're, we're uh, we've we've built some things uh, into our locker room and into our, our our program that I think will last a long time. Uh, so so I'm excited where we're at. You know, I, I didn't. You know, when you said I wouldn't have went to another college, I mean, I was I I had a pretty good position in Detroit. I was lucky enough right. to work in Pittsburgh for those years, and in Colorado was you know behind an NHL bench. You know, when you're a player or a coach. You know, coaching on an NHL bench, it, there's not much better than that. Coming back to Wisconsin for me was because it was Wisconsin. This is where I played. This is where my brothers played. Uh, this is where my wife's from. This was, uh, uh, you know, I think the premier program in college hockey. And and I wanted to get back to that level. Um, and, you know, there's still some work to be done. So did, did I hope it would have, you know, come a little quicker? Absolutely. But I, but I also, uh, you know, realize uh, that there's a lot of other programs that are up and running and doing a great job. And, and our job uh, here as, as coaches and mine as the head coaches is, is to be able to compete, you know, consistently for national championships and Big Ten titles. And, and you know, I want to be there soon. Yeah. I'm interested to hear you say that you've made some adjustments to recruiting, which is like I, I'm fascinated by that aspect of it. It's not just in hockey. Like you know, I'm I'm a Michigan State guy, and so I've seen kind of the Tom Izzo go through that. Like, do you recruit the guy that's going to leave after a year, or do you go, you know, maybe and just try to get the guys that you're going to develop right for a number of years? When you talk about those adjustments, how you know what are those adjustments that you've made? Well, the first and foremost piece of any winning team and program is your goaltender. So, so I yeah. think just finding, you know, prioritizing the fact that, you know, the guy you go after and the most important player that you can have. And generally speaking, goaltenders stay a longer period of time. You know, okay, there's right, not many, right. you know, goalies that leave after their freshman or sophomore. There are a couple that, you know, every now and then that, that are able to, to progress, but goaltending usually takes a little bit more time. So, so I think that uh, focusing in on, on that position uh, a little bit differently than we have is, is, is priority. Uh, and the combination of what you just said, players that we know, we still have to recruit the Caulfields and the Turcotts and the Holloways, the guys that might be one or two years, uh, but combine them with some older players. So when they get here, they have a supporting cast of veteran type uh, players that have been through it a little bit more and have uh, a little bit more experience in the game of hockey. I think, I think that would be uh, important. Last year we were us in Minnesota with two youngest teams in college hockey. Were we as talented as anybody? Absolutely. Uh, but we were just raw. And, and, right. and, and that's a tough thing when you're playing teams that, you know, we looked at some rosters of teams we were playing early in the season and they were two and a half years older than our team. And at 18 years old, that's a big difference, if, you know. And, and so, so we do have to get older. We do have to get a, a, a group of players that have a supporting cast of, of older, solid, hard-nosed character guys. You know, Roman Ashan's a perfect example of that. Dominic Mersch, Tarek Baker. We have a few of them in our lineup now. We just have to continue to, to fill that uh, need for our program and, and, and make that a priority as well. So I was I was talking recently to Todd Woodcroft, who's taken over at Vermont, and and you know it's a very similar situation to you in in that you know leaving a, re, a really good job as an assistant coach to 
take over a program that you know that's that needs help and what advice would you give to someone like todd that that maybe you're one of the few people in the world that yeah, I, I think the, the first advice probably needs to go to the boosters and alumni to, mm. to say you can't wave a magic wand and make things change overnight. <laughs> right. You know, you can't make trades. You can't call guys up and send guys down. You know, what you have in place is what you're going to work with for, for a few years. And then it's building, you know, um, building around that. And and we had some good pieces in place. Don't get me wrong. We had Luke Cunton, who was our captain. Luke Cunton left after his sophomore year. So I had one year with Luke. Um, uh, and that's where I started to learn about, okay, you know, here's Luke, a productive player. He comes back next year. He's got a chance to win a Hobie Baker. But, you know, instead, Minnesota needed a player. And, and we understand that that's part of, of, of you know, coaching kids like this. And, and Luke's going to go on and have a, a great, you know, career in the NHL, and I was lucky enough to coach him for that year. So, so we're looking to, to uh, and I'd, I'd tell um, the same thing. Uh, you know, when you take over a team like you know Vermont, it's a um, he's got some pieces in place, and now it's it's building and and the patience of of um, you know some of the the decisions you make now are are really for three and four years down the road. Right. All right, let's take a quick break. And there's some great stories from your career I want to get into as we as we talk about, you know, getting elected to the Hall and some of the memories it brings back. But let's hold on for one second. You got it. Oh, my gosh. It, this is such a good time to subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, if you're a hockey fan, there's a million things going on with the draft and free agency, the Stanley Cup final. Like, I, we, you know we love the offseason because we can dive into so many different things. And right now, you can read every sports story for every sport that matters just for one dollar a month a buck a month that's crazy don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season subscribe now and save sign up now to see for yourself the creativity reporting and storytelling that sets the athletic apart and if you go to theathletic.com slash full 60 you can receive all access to everything million stories all the podcasts everything for a dollar a month Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories in your favorite teams. You don't want to miss all the coverage. You don't want to miss the mock drafts, the trade lists, all that stuff. Go to theathletic.com slash full60. You get all access for a dollar a month. We hope to see you there. All right, Tony, I, it was funny. I was going back and, and doing some research in preparation for this, and I found a conversation that you and I actually had had right I think it was after you had been named the Olympic coach uh, a few years ago, and it we we somehow got sidetracked into a, a conversation about the the Russian hockey team that you played against as as in, in eighty in, in eighty eight or was it or it might have been the world well, championships before that. yeah 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 so so because I I'm obsessed with that, that era and because it's such a fascinating time I I wanted to start there I think. You know, at one, at one point you told a story. You're sitting in practice and me watching and them Stewart. practice. You and Gary yeah. Suter are watching. Can you just put me in that scene and and what you were what you guys are looking at? Yeah, you know, we I, we were going to go on the ice next. So you get to the rink and you, you get your undergear on, and then uh, you know, and Suter, I said, hey, let's go out and watch these guys practice. You know, and we went in the in, in the stands and we both looked at each other and go, how the heck are we going to ever touch the puck playing against that team? Like, hey, <laughs> They looked like the Harlem Globetrotters zipping it around, you know, and that's Makarov, Krutov, Larianov, Fedosov, oh. Kastanov, 
you know, I mean, that team that we were going against uh, for us, we were college kids, uh, you know, was um, <laughs> it was pretty special to, to look at. And, and um, you know, we ended up competing with them. We, we you know, we, we, we touched the puck a few times. We did. They let us touch it a few times. <laughs> uh, so but 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 what you talk about an experience as a kid and, and you know what it meant for Americans only five years earlier to, to beat that team and to be able to, to kind of uh, put a you know put our name on the map and say oh USA does have a hockey team and and that was the boost and the shot in the arm for all American players from that day forward we all of a sudden could walk into the rink with a little bit more pride and a lot more respect from the other side and it was because of the passion um, and and the way we played the game was different than the way the Russians played it and probably different than the Canadians played it and probably different than any other international team played it and they just you know, they set the tone for what an American player was supposed to be. And I wanted as a player to uphold what that meant. And that meant to go out on the ice and look the, your opponent in the eye and didn't matter how good he was and how many goals he had and, and what his resume was, I was going to find a way to compete against him. And that's kind of the mentality that that 1980 team gave me and probably lots of others that, that uh, were lucky enough to use that as their inspiration uh, in their playing career. Yeah. And a, a couple of years later, you're playing in 88, that the Russians, and you'd said you were down 6-2, and then... 6-5. What's that? No, we were down 6-2, but we made it 6-5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You made it 6-5. Yeah, and just, it was crazy. And, and it was just like, here's this, you know, your own, here, same thing. The team's loaded, and you guys are just pushing them. We were pushing them, and you know we had we had a pretty darn skilled team too. You had Brian Leach and Mike Richter's in your net, and Kevin mm-hmm. Stevens and Craig Janney, and I could go <laughs> on and on and tell you, you know, Scotty Young and Jeff Norton. We had a really really good team. We were just young, and and um, you know if you you know you look at that team and you looked at that opportunity. And we were down 5-2 in the first two periods. We just were standing around watching, and all of a sudden, hey, guys, let's leave it out there. Let's go. We're better than this. And we went after them. And the, the Russians called a timeout with, I don't know, two and a half minutes to go. And, and when we made it 6-5, and Brian Leach hit the crossbar, mm. um, you know, in the last two minutes, that would have tied it. And then Fedosov picked up a loose puck, I don't know, with maybe 20 or 30 seconds left and threw up. 190 foot wrister over over all of our heads into the empty net to, to solidify a 7-5 win but for for a game if you want to go back and look at an exciting hockey game um i haven't i've seen little snid bits of it and little pieces of it here and there and uh, i know how exciting uh that game was and again it's russia against usa and it was close to being one of those games where if you pull that off, you know, you know, it's, it's certainly, I don't know what any sporting event will ever match the miracle game, but, but it had, it had its making and, and how it was played And it. And I'll bet you if, if Mike Ruzioni and, and all of that team watched our team play versus the Russians and, and they would have said, you know what, you, you guys actually probably played them better than we did, but we won and you lost. So sorry about mm-hmm. that guys. But, <laughs> but, but uh, 
that's that's the way hockey is sometimes you know you yeah. make the most of your opportunities mike you know i look at Aruzioni's goal and i think you know wow you know he, he was in the right spot at the right time but he prepared for that right spot at the right time so you give him all the credit then you look at herb brooks on how he prepared that team and you look at all of the pieces on how jimmy craig you know played the you know the, the best two weeks of his life he played in that moment of lake class and probably if you look at every player on that roster mark johnson you know, a little attention, not a lot, was probably the best player in that tournament. And his name isn't mentioned, you know, a lot of times when you talk about that game, but, but he, he scored every big goal and made every big play at every key moment. And, and, uh, you know, wow, I, I, I could talk about that team from now on, you know, until the, <laughs> it was just, uh, it was special for so many reasons. Um, so, so not you know, it's in that era you make your NHL debut. You're a Chicago kid, and it was it was a Chicago stadium, wasn't it? It was. Yes, it was. What was like <laughs> as someone that grew up going to those games? What was that moment like? Well, you know, that's one of the stories. I don't know if I'm proud to tell or not proud to tell, but <laughs> but I did. I watched hundreds of games there. I was lucky enough. My parents had season tickets for the hawk games. And, you know, my dream as a kid, uh, you know, was to be the next Stan Makita or Bobby Hall or whatever. It, it, you know, those were my idols until the, you know, the 1980 team. And then it became Ruzioni and Johnson and those guys. But, but I get to play my first game as a Ranger, uh, first NHL game in Chicago stadium. And it took me about three seconds to get a major for boarding. And I'm not, when I say three seconds, it's, it is, it's from the time it would take me to get off my bench on a line change and, and go straight across the ice to hit Steve Larmer from behind. So I can go, I could skate fast back then. And I did, I jumped off the bench beeline to where I thought the puck was going. Doug Wilson, I think gave it up to Larmer on the half wall and bam, I came flying through there a million miles an hour and, and got a major for boarding. So that's how I started my, my, that's year. Amazing. my, my, career in the nhl was was in a penalty box for five minutes how, how much family did you have in the stands was it one of those deals where you, where... oh it was one of those deals so i yeah. got uh, at the end of that game i had 10 minutes in penalties because i had that five minute major <laughs> for that and then i got jumped later by trent yanni and ended up getting a five ma- major for fighting uh, I got a scratch cornea in my eye. I had a couple bumps and bruises on my face from, you know, from everybody coming after me for, for running Larmer like that. And I thought, you know, we tied the game 2-2, but I figured my, you know, family would know, okay, t- Tony's, it wasn't the greatest start, but so I thought they might have exited the game at, you know, when the buzzer sounded there in the third period. No, they decided to wait. So you walk up the stairs of the old stadium, and I must have had 100 people up there waiting for me. And I, I got, like I said, a black – I still can't see out of the one eye because of someone scratching me there. And, and uh, they're all up there screaming and cheering and thinking, you know, thinking we won the Stanley Cup. And I'm like, well, they, they do love me for who I am and, and whatever. But it was – those are those are the moments that, you know, as a player um, – um, I don't know, as an older guy now that you look back on and you're like, man, was I lucky and man, yeah. did I have support of family and friends to, to be on this, uh, you know, journey with that, that made this whole thing so special. Um, I, I'm just started thinking about how, how many things like happened, like how many experiences you had so early in your career, because then you're part of a, just a massive trade. Um, how did you find out about that deal? 
This is a good one. I, I uh, it was All Star break in the Rangers. Uh, we we got Roger Nielsen to coach. The first year I had Michelle Bergeron, and and I had a really good rookie year, and things things were going really well. My second year, I started a little bit slow. I was dealing with a couple injuries that that uh, that I even had at the All Star break there, and I came back to Madison to to just visit some family. My brother was playing here, um, and we're watching the All Star game. And there had been rumors in the previous, you know, week or two, the Rangers are going to make a deal. They have to, they're, they're not where they need to be. New coach, you know, Rogers in there, they're going to, they're going to make some sort of deal. And, and I, my name had been in rumors and this and that, but you kind of ignore them. It's just a hockey rumor. And then, then they make the announcement during the all-star game that Bernie Nichols, who was in the game has been notified that he's been traded to the New York Rangers and they're, they haven't, officially announced the trade because they're still trying to notify the players on the Rangers that were involved in the trade. So I'm thinking, okay, who could they be trying to reach? <laughs> and, and I'm putting this all together and I'm going, yeah. well, you know what? This adds up to be me and, uh, or at least part of the deal. And sure enough, uh, my mother and father-in-law, I was at a different house at my billets house actually. And, and my mother and father-in-law got a call from Bruce McNall. Hmm. And and they called me and they said, hey, Tony, there, there's a Bruce McNall that wants to talk to you, whatever. So they give me the number. I call him back. And Bruce says, Tony, uh, we traded for you. Uh, he gave me a pep talk, which uh, got me pretty darn excited to get to L.A. Yeah. And uh, Sandstrom and I went for Bernie Nichols uh, to L.A. And I never flew back to New York to pick my stuff up. I flew from Madison to meet the team in Vancouver uh, and to walk into a hotel in Vancouver and find out that Wayne was my roommate. So, so it was oh a pretty good day for me uh, <laughs> to, you know, you know, Wayne came a day late because, you know, he had the all-star game. He flew back to LA for the day to be with Janet. And then he came in on that Monday. So I was in there Sunday night waiting for my roommate to, to arrive on Monday and it happened to be Wayne. So, so I went from being a, you know, a, a player in New York to being, you know, Wayne's roommate and, and, you know, his line mate for part of the, my time in LA as well. So you talk about, you know, having an opportunity as a kid, you go, man, you're going to play with the greatest player ever to play. And you're like, nah, there's no way, you know, there's no way you could be able to do that. And, and I was able to do that. And the, and the funny part about all of this is my brother's playing at Wisconsin and a lot of my former teammates at Wisconsin were still there. They used to call at back then there were no cell phones. So right. you, they used to call my hotel room, hoping that Wayne would answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> So I would have to, we'd have to put do not disturbs on everywhere we went. Cause I knew my brothers would be up you know, late at night or, or coming oh in gosh, and amazing. they'd want to call and talk to a Gretz. So they would, they would call my room. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, and, uh, no, and how lucky could you be as, as a player to have that opportunity to, to not only to, to play with them, but to, to learn from them, to listen to them, to admire them, to respect them for, for, uh, what he was able to do not only on the ice but what he did for our game off of the ice um, i don't know how he could have represented uh the nhl or a professional athlete any better than than what uh, what i saw of him and and that was uh you know there's another thing that i you know would say as if you how you know what was most special about your career in playing hockey or whatever well i did that that was pretty special i don't know That's that you could cop, cop that top that opportunity that's incredible. Did you know him at all before he's like walking into your hotel room for the first time? 
Well, we did because Brian Leach and I, the year before, this is another great story. So Brian <laughs> and I are at the at the awards ceremony in Toronto, and yeah. Leachy's going, "Come on, let's go get a picture with Gretz." And I said, "Okay, you ask him." And I said, and he's like, "No, no, you ask him." And finally, I walked up. We asked him for uh, a picture, and I got it up in my office. But we did. We said, "Excuse me, Mr. Gretz." And he turns around. He says, "Hey, Tony. Hi, Brian. How you doing?" Like you know, like he he knows who we are. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> This is like the greatest, you know, second of our lives. Wayne Gretzky actually knows who Brian Leach and Tony Granato are. So, so we did. We took a picture. Um, I have that picture. Um, so I did meet Wayne, um, and uh, I played against them the the next year when I. Uh, so no, sorry that that first year. This is the experience I had as as a Ranger player. We our first game in L.A. So I'm we're going to play in L.A. And Michelle Bergeron skating around in the morning skate, and he skates up to me. He goes, "Tony, you got Gretzky tonight." <laughs> and he skates away. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what the heck does he mean? I got Gretzky tonight. And then I'm thinking, we couldn't mean I'm shadowing him. We had we had Jan Eriksson, who was a great defensive player, great forward player, great guy, great teammate. And he did that was his job every night. He would get the assignment of playing against the other team's top player. And I didn't know how to. I wouldn't know how would I know how to check Wayne? I don't know how to check you know the fourth line guys, let alone Wayne Gretzky. So so he skates back up to me and I, and I go, Burge, what, what'd you say? I got I got Wayne tonight. He goes, Yeah, he on the ice. You you on the ice too. Wherever he go, you go. And I go, oh my gosh, okay, he's serious. So that afternoon, I'm thinking, how do you do this? How do you chase Wayne Gretzky around the rink? And you know, I've never had a defensive responsibility at any level. And here it is, my first one's going to be against Wayne. And the game went well. We ended up winning. Um, I played him hard, with, but with respect, I, I didn't do to him what I would have done to other players, you know. Uh, from a physical uh, nastiness side. Uh, and uh, that game, according to Bruce McNall, when I told you Bruce gave me a, an, an inspirational talk when he called me to tell me uh, th- uh, that I'm a king, you know, he referenced that game saying that the game you played against Wayne after the game, Wayne said, we need a guy like that on our team. Hmm. And and that was, uh, um, you know, one game I, I did. I probably had a career game against Gretz. And- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. what what I was able to do and the timing was right and and so um you know that that was uh um you know for me that Ranger King game before I got to LA was was one I'll remember as well because I had a unique opportunity of having to check the great one all right so what is what, what was that like to try to defend him at, at the, kind of the peak of his powers what was your strategy Oof! Hang on, man. <laughs> I did. I did what. But but Bursch, I was a good skater. Yeah. Uh, he was obviously elusive, and 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 I didn't physically. I leaned on them enough when I could. Yeah. Um, I knew he. They had Baumgartner and Marty there to to protect him. So I I couldn't I couldn't go over the line of of being physical against him. Um, but I I skated with them, and 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 you know he took a penalty on me. I took a penalty on him. So, so there was, you know, it was, it wasn't like Tekken and, you know, draped all over him or other checkers that would, you know, literally hang on to his stick and not let him go anywhere. You know, some of those days of how you used to be able to check are way different than today's, you know, game. But 
but um, you know, I, I did. I, I took uh, I took the the the, the job uh, seriously. It was my you know rookie year in the league, and if your coach tells you to do something, you're going to find a way to do, you know, to do everything you can to to make him proud. And and uh, um, you know, so so it went pretty well. Um, you know, I'm I'm sure Gretz probably thinks, um, you know. Um, he could have had a few more that night because <laughs> I probably got bailed out by Van Beesbrook or Victor yeah, yeah. or Froze, whoever was our goalie. But but uh, but we won, and, and uh, uh, yeah, it was a fun game. And staying in this moment, well, you know, for, for one more question, we I, I don't know if you can tell me if it's true or not. Someone told me that your first game, you didn't even get a morning skate with him, like, but you're in, with the Kings, but you were on his line, and you're just thrown right into it. I was, and and when I told you that I, I had an injury in New York. Um, prior to, I did, I, I, I pulled the groin or tore a groin or I was, I was, um, you know, coming off of that injury when at the all-star break and the, and the five days we had for all-star break, I was hoping it would come back and I would be fine and, and whatever. But as I realized I played the one game in Edmonton, uh, sorry, uh, I didn't play the first night in Vancouver. They held me out that game and said, we're going to give you two more days. We played a couple nights later in Edmonton. I played that game and, uh, I got hurt again. So I ended up being with LA and couldn't play for probably two more weeks. I don't, I don't know the timeline perfectly, but, yeah. but as a new, new member of the LA Kings and been there with Gratz and saying, man, I, I got a groin injury. I can't play. <laughs> right. You know, that was, that was really hard to have to suck it up, but, but, but skating, if I, if I couldn't skate with, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I, it, 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 it just was frustrating, but I got back in the lineup that year and I did play with Wayne and Thomas. I played another year with them the following year. Um, and that, that experience there of being his line mate, there were a few comments that he made to me along the way that were just great and and one of them was we were on a three on two which i thought was kind of like a slash two on two maybe i could beat my guy to the net and wayne was carrying the puck on his offside and he threw the pass that was a little bit behind me and i reached to get it and i kind of fumbled it and and didn't get it and i realized after i did that that sandstrom was wide open on the back side and i got back to the bench and i said Gret, sorry man i thought that pass was for me and he smiled at me and he gave me the, the thing. He goes, Tone, if it's not on your tape, it's not for you. And, <laughs> and, and, and he's right. Every pass, every time, if I wanted the puck, it was coming on my tape. So, yeah, so I looked at the, and he did, and he did it in humor. And then the other thing he, I, I said to him early in, in that time playing with him, I said, Gretz, tell me what you want me to do, man. I'll do it. He goes, Tony, I want you to be the same player you always were. But if you get the puck in the offensive zone and you don't know what to do with it, throw it behind the net. And, mm -hmm. and to me, that was one of the greatest things you could ever say. And in the offensive zone, he understood and recognized uh, if, if I had the puck or any of his teammates had the puck or under duress and couldn't do anything with it, if, if we were smart enough to throw it back there, he would be there at the right time to get it. And everybody knows his office, uh, which he had that for, for every game he played. If he ever got back there and got a puck, he was finding a way to find a, find a scoring chance uh, uh, or a player available to, to get a great scoring chance. And and that, that worked. I mean, it mm -hmm. did. Anytime you're in trouble offensively, you had the puck, throw it behind the net, there was Wayne, and he'd make a play. Hmm. That's that's amazing. Um, all right, I don't. I'm not trying to fast forward through like you know 39 goal seasons and multiple 30 goal seasons with the Kings, but I, I do. You know, I want to get to the point where you know you you have the the head injury, and this is kind of way before we're we know what we know now about concussions and all that. 
like how what was that process like for you as a player especially in that era right mid 90s where this just wasn't a thing we were talking about no no it wasn't uh i had a, a bad concussion my my rookie year uh luke richardson hit me uh in toronto that knocked me out cold and uh that was the first you know major injury that i had you know head wise um you know, I was out. He hit me just inside, just inside center ice, so just outside the blue line, and I got the back of his shoulder right in the draw and the jaw. So that knocked me out, and then I smacked my head on the ice and slid slid into the end boards all the way behind the goal line. And you know, I I got up trying to say I'm okay, not knowing where I was or, or what I was doing or what team I was on. And and uh, you know, so they they pull you out of that game. You go to the hospital. You get checked out. And, and I remember the flight home the next day. We didn't travel after the game. We flew the next day. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm a rookie. Things are going well. I can't be hurt. I can't blow this opportunity. I can't give someone else a chance to take my job or my spot, and I can't let my teammates down. So so you kind of figure out, okay, how are you going to tell the trainer and the doctor that you're fine? And I'm, so I'm going through the whole thing. How do you feel? I'm good, man. I feel great. I just, you know, I got any headaches? No, no, I'm good. You know, and and you, and you were stubborn enough and not smart enough to realize that what you were doing was harm to yourself and probably harm to your team. Uh, so I, I lied my way through the the appointments with the the head the neurologists and everybody to be able to play the next night. And I played the next night and didn't miss a game from it. And and then as I realized, you know, later on I had a, a secondary injury, so to speak, in a game against Hartford when I was playing with the Kings, where I crashed into the boards and uh, like any other time you try to pop up as fast as you can and show you know never show your opponent you're injured or wounded and right. jump jump up and get back to the bench and you know i knew something was kind of a little bit different than a normal you know hit just just didn't feel right and just you know that fuzzy thing that, that happens when you get your bell rung uh, so we got through that game played one more game kind of in a fog to kind of got through the game and at the end of the game i told my wife i go man what happened out there i don't remember a lot of the game and and that's where symptoms started to come on. And then a couple of days later, they they recognized that I was I had a bleed from that hit in Hartford, and and uh, had surgery not too long after that to fix it. And and at that time, you know, you know, I thought, you know, when I was going in for the surgery, and you're going in for brain surgery, okay, well, just get me out of this thing and let me be a dad again. And uh, when I got out. The doctor uh, Martin, Doctor Neil Martin, who was uh, uh, as good of a neurosurgeon uh, that you could ever have if you, if you had an injury like this, uh, was at UCLA. He, he said, "Hey, surgery went well. We're going to release you from the hospital here. Uh, we want you to slowly, you know, build back up your activity. I want you, to, you know, want to see you in whatever a couple weeks, and then after that couple weeks, it was you can do a little bit more, and you can do a little bit more, and pretty soon." Two months later, you know, he said, why don't you go out on the ice and see, you know, how you feel and no contact, no any, no other people on the ice. Just go see if you feel like you have, you still have your athletic ability, uh, whatever. I did that. I came back. He said, well, you know what? I think, I think I feel good enough that I'm going to watch you for the next couple months that I may clear you. So start more aggressively with your, with your training. 
and if you feel any symptoms or anything feels wrong, just call me and 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 uh, we'll see what you know what's up. And and sure enough, I got back on the ice and felt like I could still compete at, at a level I would need to to not only protect myself but hopefully be be helpful to a team. And uh, you know, I got five more years out of it. So so I feel you know really lucky of of being able to you know, deal with an injury like that and have the opportunity to come back and play bonus years is kind of the way I tried to describe them and went up to San Jose and had a, had a great experience up there for my last five years. I mean, you casually drop it in though. I mean, you had four hour brain surgery. Like that's, that's, I can't even imagine going through that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the point of, of what I felt like prior to the brain surgery is okay do something, help me feel better. I, it's right. no good where I'm at now. And then you put, you know, you put your life and, and your, uh, you know, everything into your faith and, and to your doctor and to your, you know, the prayers that are needed and all that stuff. And, and, uh, you know, it was, it was scary. It was probably way more scary for my parents and family and, and wife. Uh, my kids were all, I had four kids at the time. My oldest one was five. So he, he really, they really weren't sure what was going on. Um, but, but yeah, you, you, you want to get through that and become a parent and, and, and a family member again. And, and fortunately, you know, like I said, I was with the right doctor at the right time. He, he fixed everything and, and, um, you know, with, with a little bit of luck, you know, I was cleared to play again. I think six months later, I think they gave me the green light to go ahead. You want to give it a shot, give it a shot. And if you feel, again, the big statement was, if you feel that you haven't lost anything athletically, uh, that would, you know, would put you in danger and you still feel like you can compete at that level, you know, give it a shot. And fortunately I did. Um, all right. So to, to wrap up, I mean, you, you, you go pretty quickly, into to coaching and not just that like you you, you get a head job for, you know within a couple of years of playing what was that experience like and, and then what did you learn kind of about the coaching and the industry and getting such a big opportunity so early on i'll tell you experience helps I'll tell you that right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah. i remember uh you know i go i got the, the job in colorado i got it uh, in the summer uh, Brian Trache left to take the Ranger job. He was the assistant coach in Colorado, and and Eric Lacroix and uh, Pierre Lacroix, GM, and, and and Eric was a former teammate of mine in LA. You know, they called me up and said, "Hey, Tony, Bob wants to interview you. You know, for our assistant coaching job." And I said, "You're kidding me! I'll, I was I was coaching third base for my son's little league, <laughs> and I see the number come up, and I can I answer the phone, kind of you yeah. know, under hiding the phone under my shirt, and I said, "Eric." coaching third base right now he goes really quick he goes uh, Hartley wants to you know bring you in for an interview and and I'm, I'm sitting on third base going oh my gosh and I think a day or two later I flew into Denver for an interview at the airport with with Bob Hartley and and got hired for that position and then um, a few months into to uh, my uh, job as an assistant coach uh, they removed Bob from his position and and threw me behind the bench and that team had Patrick Waugh mm-hmm. Joe Sackick Adam Foote, Peter Forsberg, Rob Blake. Uh, it was, a, I mean, as good of a team as you could have in that era. And, um, you know, to be thrown into that position uh, from an opportunity standpoint, you couldn't ask for a better one. 
and you couldn't ask you actually you couldn't ask for a better bench to be behind from the standpoint great character guys great players to coach uh, I, I just named a few of them there because those are the big names you know Alex Tangay Milan Hayduk you know they both had career years Hayduk had 50 Forsberg was the team MVP Patty Waugh you know, we were 12, 12 or 13 points behind Vancouver at the time that the coaching change was made. And we caught Vancouver on the last second of the season to, to win our ninth straight division title, you know, and then we had a first round playoff lost to, to many. We lost, I think three games in overtime in that series as well. And, you know, Andrew Burnett had the winner in game seven, Richard Park had the winner in game six in overtime. It was one of those series where we played really, really, really well. And somehow they won four games before we did. And Jack right. Lamar was their coach. He did a great job on, on maximizing what that team had. But their goalies they had two goalies that year. That that uh, Rolls and Fernandez they 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 were the difference in the series. And and that's you know that's hockey. And so from an experience standpoint, I mean the opportunity I had to coach those players, you know, so early in the coaching career, what I learned from that moment forward was really helpful. Uh, all the way through and and uh you know i was i i, I was lucky yeah it's I, you know I've, I've, I've never asked you about this but i've always wondered it does it's not often so q comes in and then you, you take a spot as an assistant was that an odd transition for you or what went into that decision for you well what i just said to you like the experience part i knew i knew what i had gone through um would help me later on but I also said, geez, I haven't had a, a time on the bench. I had a short time to try to learn from Bob. And here's Joel Quenville, who, who I respected both as a person and as a coach. Um, and I heard so many great things about him. One of them was from my brother-in-law, Ray Farrell, who played for him. Uh, and, and so I'm thinking, you know, this might be the, the right thing for me uh, to help me you know, in so many different ways. So, so when we were talking with, with Pierre uh, Lacroix at the end of that season, you know, we just, we threw everything out there. And I think that was the one thing that was nice about Pierre is he wouldn't hide anything. He just flat out say, hey, Tony, you know, what do you think? What would be the best thing for our organization? You know, moving forward, this is what I think we should discuss. I said, Hey, Pierre, I'll do whatever, you know, whatever you think is right. And then let's, if, if we do find somebody, and and we you know we targeted Joel really early in the in the uh, process, and if Joel thinks that that I would be uh, helpful in, in the transition here and that we'd be compatible, if it works that way, great. If it doesn't work, I'm a big boy. I know the game. I know how it works. And 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 uh, I'd be you know so so anyhow we we did we we brought Joel in for an interview. Um, I wasn't part of the actual interview process, but I was part of the, the next day where, where uh, we got together. Uh, we discussed some things. He asked me if I would want to be around. I asked him if he'd want me around. That was right, right. probably a more important question uh, because I had a lot of relationships with a lot of the players that were there. Um, and it would be somewhat awkward going back to that position. And then we thought, you know what? We're both big enough and mature enough men that have have had enough experiences in the game that we can make this work. And uh, I'm I, I I can't tell you how great it was for me to 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 be on a bench with him. Um, I I'd go on any bench with him because he was a competitor, a uh, great person to work with, um, and uh, and I, I will always be a big fan of Joel. So I learned a lot, and and I think from where we could complement each other. I saw the game from an offensive side. I saw the game with the puck. He saw the game without the puck from a defensive side. So the lessons he taught me um, uh, on how to defend and how to uh, keep the puck out 
out of your net, uh, so to speak, were, were very helpful for me. And uh, hopefully, you know, my perspective of trying to teach him what Joe Sackick seen offensively and what other right. players were thinking with the puck, you know, hopefully was a nice compliment uh, to each other. I know I felt that way. So you've you've played or coached with some fascinating like wide ranges of coaches from you know Mike Babcock to Barry Melrose to you know I mean up at Joel Quenville Bob Harley lots of different styles Roger Nielsen you played for is there one that stands out in terms of someone who either influenced you or you really like were a sponge learning from well all of them were were different in some way that you know if you stay in the game uh, if you're able to stay in the game long enough and you were not smart enough to learn from all the people that were around you, you know, shame on you. And that's kind of what I've tried to, to take from each and every person that I played with or played for or been around, you know, learn something from them because there's so many great people in our game that have so much uh, to offer. Um, and so, so hopefully a, a little bit of the good of all of them. Daryl Sutter's another one. Daryl Sutter. Go into that mix. Michelle Bergeron's another one. Bob Johnson's another mm-hmm. one. Uh, Jeff Sauer, my college coach. Uh, so, so you know, from again, from that standpoint, you feel lucky. Uh, the guy that I learned the most from the fastest was Bob Johnson. So that was the 91 Canada Cup uh, when he ended up getting sick and passed away only a few months after that. Badger Bob was coach at Wisconsin that recruited me, but I never played for that. I always had the dream of of wanting to play for because of how he coached and his enthusiasm and his passion um, and his love for the game. Uh, he wore it on his sleeve. And that statement, it's a great day for hockey, uh, was his his every second of the day what he thought. Yeah. I mean, this what a great day, guys. And, the, and that was the energy that he, he made you feel. And, yeah. you know, that Canada Cup team in 1991, I was somewhat of an older player on that team uh, I think I was 27 and I played with Ronick and Madonna. Those were my line mates on that Canada cup team. And Badger, you know, uh, was, uh, a, a guy that again, you, what you want from a coach is that the, if they ask you the question, will you go through that wall? And, and, and if you don't hesitate and say why, and you just go through that wall, you know, you want to play for that guy. So I said that about Melrose. I said that about lots of, lots of coaches that I played for and Badger Bob, if he said, Tony, do this, I was doing it. And that's the, the respect that you have for a guy that you admire because, you know, of the passion he brought to it, uh, of the confidence that he instilled in you. Um, and the love of the game that he showed, you know, 24 hours a day. So, so I think, you know, only a short window with him, all the other coaches that I played for again. Some of them I didn't get along with great when I played for them, but I learned a lot from them and uh, uh, lots of, lots of great experiences. All right. Last question. You, and I, and I love this quote from you. I don't know if you, but you said the greatest moment you, or you said, I don't think I've had a better moment in athletics. I know which one. I know which one that is. Yeah. Yeah. Watching the gold. Yeah. Yeah. Nagano. Yeah. And it is. And, And I only say that from the standpoint uh, when you're involved in the competition, you don't think about things like that, about, yeah. you know, what's it going to be like after or what did it, you know, or as the game's going on, you're not thinking about how you got to that position. So I'm sitting in the stands. I've never been so nervous <laughs> watching during that Olympics, watching my sister compete in the Olympics. I've, in my stomach, I had more butterflies and I was shaking and sweating and everything else. But when you play, you're in, you're in the moment and you're, you know, you, you check into your game mode and you play. But when you're a fan, I've never been on that side of it 
uh, you know, watching a family member compete at that level. And, and the reason it was so emotional for me and so, um, uh, special was I watched her play with boys. I watched her play in my basement with me and my brothers. I watched her never flinch at any challenge or anything that came at her. And there were years, and this was a time, um, anyone that's in our age, in my age or anyone's older, athletes for, or athletics for women back then, they weren't what they are today. There were challenges. There were, there were if, if a girl was on a team back then, because they had to play with boys because there weren't enough women playing or girls playing, the boys didn't like playing against girls and the parents of the other team didn't like that there was a girl on the other team. Let's, let's right. you know, okay. say it the way it was. And she took abuse. She took beatings of, of, of you know, that, that you wouldn't want any kid to have to go through. And at the end of the day, all she would say, hey, I just want to play hockey. I don't really care if I got to deal with parents or guys coming after me. No problem. I can do it. I have had my brothers to, to teach me what being a good teammate is all about. And I'm going to play hockey because I love hockey. And that's the only, you know, that's the reason that I thought that was so special because there were so many obstacles. And I'm not just talking Cami at that time. You look at the women's soccer team that did what they did. They had hurdles to overcome. You look at the rest of her teammates that had to play with boys all the way through. You know, when a girl showed up at a rink, it was supposed to be to figure skate, not to play hockey. And I, I was one of those guys where I was caught in between. Because, um, you know, I got a sister that I, I looked at and I didn't realize she was doing something different than everybody else's sister. Right. And, you know, so so here I am in the stand. She watched me in 1988 playing the Olympics. There was no nowhere for her to go. And all of a sudden, you know, they decide that there's going to be women's hockey in the Olympics. And she didn't know that when she started playing. She had no idea that was ever going to happen. And she kept playing, not to play in the Olympics, not to, to be famous, not to do anything. She wanted to play hockey because she loved hockey. And, and so to see her win and have a, I don't know, special moment. I, we have lots of opportunities to win championships and, and different things. And for her to have that opportunity and be able to take advantage of it on a big stage like that, it was. Uh, the moment that I will remember like it was yesterday for what that meant, you know, from a, from a, you know, proud, how, how proud could you be of your little sister from not just for winning, but for all the things she did to get to that moment, to that moment. Well, that's awesome. Well, Tony, thanks for, thanks for doing this. This was was awesome. No problem. Really enjoyed it. And again, congratulations on, on the well-deserved honors. I appreciate that. See you, buddy. I want to thank Tony for joining the podcast. <laughs> Such a great conversation. Uh, that's my favorite. I don't want to speak out of turn because there's other great American hockey families, but the Granados, I mean, they might be the best. I mean, and I don't. I, hopefully, nobody in the Kachuk family is listening to this because I don't want to stick across uh, the, my calf. But the Granados are the best. And if you haven't listened to the Cami Granado episode, she was amazing, and she she is. Uh, you know, as as Tony got at the end there, as he got into that story, like she's accomplished so much in the world of hockey. I would definitely encourage you to go check out that episode. Uh, it's good. And while you're listening to podcasts, great slate of podcasts at The Athletic. You've got Billy Guerin, joined Mike Russo this week on Straight from the Source. Um, Michael Hirschfeld, Hershey, he's awesome. He's the head of the NHL Coaches Association. He was on Two Man Advantage with Pierre Lebrun. 
and Scott Burnside. Uh, and again, a reminder, take advantage of the Athletics deal right now for a dollar a month. Like, I, If you're not a subscriber right now, go to theathletic.com slash full 60 and you can cash in on that deal. There's we've got so much stuff coming. There's it's it's worth it. I mean I know I'm biased, but it's worth it. A buck a month. Athletic.com slash full sixty. Uh, join me in the comments section on the Athletic app. Uh, and please, as I always ask, rate and subscribe to the full sixty on Apple. All right, that's it. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>